Well, there you have another episode of Straight Out of Combat Radio, Audio Medicine by Green Zone Hero. This episode's a little bit different. This is not only an Army veteran, but also a law enforcement veteran. It's a powerful story of love and forgiveness and the will to keep going. It's also about stigmas and how we break through them to end things like racism and just you know the things that make our communities less than. This is all about making them more than. Our guest today is Steve Breakstone from the Sarasota Police Department in, here in Florida, my hometown. I was humbled and honored to get his story, and I appreciate you listening again to another episode of Straight Outta Combat Radio. Your steely-eyed killer shadow in the night You were born to fight You gotta light them up My name is John Krotek, and I want to welcome you to Straight Outta Combat Radio, audio medicine by Green Zone Hero. We're here to honor the wisdom of America's most valuable asset for combat veterans. We're authentic, we're empowering, we're American. Our guest for this episode of Straight Out of Combat Radio, Audio Medicine by Green Zone Hero, is not only an Army veteran, but he's also a veteran of law enforcement right here in my hometown of Sarasota, Florida. His name is Steve Breakstone. Steve grew up in Pennsylvania and served in the United States Army as an infantryman in Alaska between 1984 and 87. He earned quite a few badges while he was in, expert infantry, a good conduct medal, also an MSM, which is a meritorious service medal. That's not an easy one to get. Then he came on board with the Sarasota Police Department in 1987 and served as a uniform and detective until 2011. He was police officer of the year in 1992. He worked in the uh, division that did that uh, basically helped to well, homicide, you know, so there you go. Homicides and, and crimes against people. He was a sergeant of detectives and retired as a lieutenant. He's the father of four kids ranging in ages from 35 to 18 years, 18 years old, actually lost a child, Gabriel, at the age of 17. We'll talk more about that. Joe, uh, Redemption of Joe is his book, I'm trying to read off of his notes here, but the Redemption of Joe is something that we're going to talk about today, too. He speaks Spanish fluently. Maybe he can teach me some words. He's very involved in personal development and mentoring. And how I met Steve was through a personal friend, uh, John Berenger, who's with ACN as an independent business uh, rep. And we're going to talk about that. But but before we get there, thank you for being on the show, Steve. I know we've been trying to do this for a while. I just appreciate you being here. and I'm humbled to have you here. It's my pleasure, brother. Thank you very much. Absolutely. So, you know, tell us about, let's cut to the quick. We got a lot to go over today and there's a lot going on with the pandemic or the endemic or the this thing that's going on with co- the coronavirus. I know we can get some good advice from you, but I want to know where did you grow up and, and who are your mentors? Yeah. So I grew up in Pennsylvania in farm country in between Pittsburgh and Erie on the Western side of Pennsylvania. So it's old school, blue collar, steel mill, that kind of thing. And I grew up milking cows and baling hay. And as a young child, really the main mentor I had was my stepfather, Lester Breakstone. He was the the one main mentor I really had. So was he in the military? Yeah, he was. He actually served in World War II in Korea. And you know, back then people were, it was a more noble generation. I'm going to get tears in my eyes, but he actually had to fake his birth certificate to get into the military because his family needed money. And he entered at 17 years of age and he fought combat in World War II and Korea. 
not only did you grow up with, you know, grassroots in, in Pennsylvania heartland, but you grew up with a big time respect for the military. A hundred percent. So now when you got out of high school, did you go right into the military? Well, how did it happen? How did you even get to the army? Yeah. So it's kind of interesting. I graduated from high school in 82. I got a couple of years on me, but, uh, the economy was really bad back then in Pennsylvania. That's when the steel mills all crashed. I think my town of Greenville had like 63% unemployment. And I hustled and did some work here or there. And uh, the mother of my first daughter, we got married very young and I wanted to provide for them. So we ended up, I ended up signing up for the infantry and uh, army in late 1983, went to Fort Benning, Georgia. And uh, it was funny back then, I had taken German in high school and I was real excited to go to Germany and the, the army sent me to Alaska, me and two other guys out of 180, but it was a blessing. I really enjoyed it. That's awesome. So when you got to basic training, was there, you know, it was obvious a transition for all of us. What moment in, in basic training did you finally realize that it was a real world out there? You know, it was kind of a funny experience. I was really noble about the flag and I was raised with a lot of patriotism, but it was when you linked in with other guys. It was the first time because I really never played a lot of high school sports. Um, My mom had an alcohol issue and my dad worked a lot, so I didn't get a chance to go play much high school sports. So when I first got in the army to have that brotherhood and that connection, like it really opened my eyes to what the real world was all about. When you graduated, who showed up? Nobody. So you're on your own. I think it kind of happened to me when I, when I graduated too. <laughs> and then that we were a lot closer. So you were at Benning. You went on to, you're, you're an infantryman. You make it to Alaska. What was the, what was going on up in Alaska? Wow. It was kind of funny. And I grew up around snow and everything, but I remember when I got there, it was in February and I think it was about 30 degrees below zero. And I made a joke and I'm told the guys on the plane, I think we landed in the wrong place, but we got off and got there and right away they get you cold weather indoctrinated. In the first few days, you're sleeping in a tent, 30, 40 degrees below zero. And it really grew me. It grew me so much. It was unbelievable. What do you think, you know, when you're looking back on it now, what do you think was instilled in you, you know, at your permanent duty station? 100%. It was the fact that I could do anything. That when you put your mind to it, that you can push your body and your mindset past limitations that most humans don't even believe is possible. That not that you're a superhero because you're capable of dying, but that you can you can just push it past the envelope. You can go further and it's carried me all through life. It's a great point. You know, we've had this is a show that primarily combat veterans and, you know, we Steve and I talked a lot about this before we came on the show. And I, I think it's important to tell the story of law enforcement because they, too, also go through these stigmas of what the veterans go through, especially combat veterans. And his combat came in a different way. We're going to get to that. But, you know, so tell us you were in Alaska the whole time. Yeah, I did a little over three years in Alaska, and I actually applied to become a helicopter pilot. I'm a I'm a high energy junkie. I drag race motorcycles, and I really wanted to be a helicopter pilot. And I applied, took what they call the fast test, the flight aptitude skill level test, scored really high, and the defense language aptitude battery. 
but I wanted to be a helicopter pilot. So there were 3,000 applications that year, and I was number 44, and it took 33 people. And I missed it by 11, which is an interesting number. It's very important to me. But it was I have great faith in God. Everything happens the way it's supposed to. Yeah, I think that's an angel number, isn't it? It is indeed. Yeah, I I know all about that number. But uh, so you got, well, let me ask you this, because you have an MSM, a Meritorious Service Medal, and they don't just hand those out. Tell us about that. Yeah, so it was a combination of things. And when I was in the military, and it kind of hit me, because I grew up and I told you a little bit about my mom, kind of, you know, some challenges with her and things, I always had that desire to be my 100% for people, to look for appreciation. And when you read my book, Redemption of Joe, you'll understand it's all about love. But anyways, that played over into the military and everything I did, I did in excess. Um, I drove a vehicle, cut a sus V, it was a big snowcat. I was the number one sus V driver in all of Alaska, this big truck rodeo. But the MSM came as part of, I was on a fire team and I was a corporal at the time. And we, we had to, I think we ran 12 miles, they say hike, but we ran 12 miles with backpacks, full ammo, full weapons. We got to the gun range and we were the only team in Alaska to score hundred percent hits on all our targets. And that include crew serve weapons up there. They didn't have the tow missile or anything. They actually had a bazooka, it was a big steel pipe, but my team hit, everybody hit hundred percent and we were awarded an MSM for that. That's awesome, man. It's almost like a, an Alaskan or a U.S. Army Alaskan Iditarod. That sounds, yeah. you know, that's yeah. pretty cool. Weapons. <laughs> so when you, so you decided not to re-enlist, you didn't make the helicopter school, you just missed it by a few people. And what did you do upon your transition? Did you get enough, you know, coming out in, in 1987? Yeah, I left early February and I had never been to Florida. And my ex-wife, my the mother of my first daughter, Sonia, her sister lived here in Sarasota. So we came to visit and obviously it's beautiful. And, and again, by the hand of God, I walked into the police department. I was doing some construction masonry work. And I walked into the police department and said, are you guys hiring? And a guy looked across the desk and said, can you start in two weeks? And it was actually a big hiring move they were doing. I think they hired 17 of us at one time. And it was the beginning of an incredible journey. That's awesome. That that was the city of Sarasota Police Department? Yes, sir. So that was, okay. So I've been here pretty much the whole time, just like you. I, I was gone for a few years. So so you move from Alaska, you get just get out of the Army, and you come into Sarasota, and you start with the police department. Tell us a little bit about the training and and, you know, what was going on in Sarasota in the late 80s? Yeah, so, I, you know, we did the police academy. It was about six months. And thank God they paid us back then. I got $282 a week. And I remember it exactly. But it was a blessing to have back then. And uh, I had a young family, got started. And then I went to the police department. And some of this is in my book. And it was funny, I was doing really good in field training, like really, really good. I had a call one time where I went and there were two guys fighting with a knife in a house and I ran in the house and I knocked one to the ground and arrested the other guy and handcuffed him. And they ended up calling me in during field training and the captain said, we're thinking about firing you. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm, I'm killing, I'm doing amazing. He goes, that's not the problem. He goes, you're not afraid of anything and that makes us afraid of you. He goes, you can't run into houses alone where someone has a knife. And I'm like, well, you know, I solved the problem. And I was young, and and but it's it's still kind of my mindset. It's just the way I am. But I did scare the heck out of them. 
and then uh, got rolling. They ended up keeping me, obviously, and I did really well. But back then in the late 80s, crack was just popping here. And we were having shootings almost every single day in Sarasota. And people just can't wrap their head around it because it's a beautiful community. But when you have that kind of drug activity going on and the money flowing back and forth, it was pretty intense. And at one point, I even had some guys put a $40,000 contract out on my life. Like it was really something. I can imagine, you know, I know that I, I, w- I was able to do some ride alongs with some of my friends in the sheriff's department. And you're so right, Steve, when, when, when it gets to be around midnight and, you know, be thankful you're at, you know, you're in the house because there's a lot of things going on out there. And if we didn't have the police out there on the street, the, there'd be a lot of uncanny things going on. You guys certainly, and it's, you guys definitely did your job and, you know, we talk about stigmas, right? And sometimes there's a stigma that police officers are racist. You know, tell us about how that's just not right. Yeah, you know, it's sad. And and what I always explain to everybody, and I worked, I worked the African-American community almost my entire career, and I, I did it by choice. But what, what's amazing is I tell people, if you go into Sarasota, I don't know, there's 200 dentists or 400 dentists. Well, 20 of them probably are horrible at their job, but 380 of them are amazing. But you're only ever going to hear about the 20 bad dentists. And like police work, when a guy does an amazing job every day, there's not anybody running around with a flag, waving it around them, thanking them. It's pretty rare. And um, and so you're going to have a few guys always, a few that make it bad for everybody else. They either make a bad decision or they come from a bad mindset. And we do weed them out. Police work is harder on people employment-wise than any other job. And uh, I loved what I did. And I love the community. And my book, Redemption of Joe, his mother became like my mother. And she was this big old black lady, Miss Shirley. She died a few years ago, but she became like my mother. And that's how most police officers really serve the community. That's awesome, man. You know, because we, you know, the stigmas, it's like with combat veterans, every time something happens, the story is, well, was he in the military or she did in this or, and, and it, it just isn't true. And, you know, and I would imagine what you just said, it's pretty much the same with any organization, anywhere you go, that there's always going to be one or two that make the 98 of the 100 have to work harder to maintain that public image. A hundred percent. And the other thing that people have to understand, and it's a pressure situation, but I, I can tell you stories for hours and hours, but you have to make a life changing decision in the flash of a second or you fail. And sometimes a decision you make, maybe it wasn't 100% right, but you did it with the right heart. And it's like if you watch an NFL football game and the referees, they're not out there trying to make a bad call. But when we watch the replay in slow motion, we see that, oh, it really was this or it really was that. But that referee did the best he could at that moment. And law enforcement, you're refereeing dangerous situations in a fraction of a second. Yeah, you're so right about that. And you definitely have the experience. Can you tell us, I don't know, one or two examples of police work that was an aha moment for you about people? I'll give you two that I can think of and one will surprise you. So I'll save that for last. <laughs> the one thing that, and, and again, I have great faith in God, but the, the evil that exists in mankind is beyond your understanding. And uh, I worked one case and I'm going to try to hold it together here. A little girl named Melinda Creary, and she was three years old, 
and she had been molested and killed by her father. And to interview him and sit in a room and have to agree with him when he says things that are just horrendous to get to the end result of, of getting him to admit what had happened. And I remember finishing that that day thinking of the little girl's eyes looking up at her father and thinking of my daughter looking at me knowing that you're the one person in the world that they want to count on you're the one person in the world that they want to trust and and that was stolen but you know again i have faith in god about that about her being in a good place but it was a tough event just on a weird note his date of birth was 6666 but that's just something odd and then the second event, and it was something, and this this is the police work that nobody sees. One day I was coming past Publix on Ringling. It's a, a grocery store here in Florida, and there was a bus stop outside. It was about six-something in the evening, and there was a lady in her late 70s, maybe early 80s, with her groceries, and it was pouring down rain. And I was a sergeant at the time, and I pulled up, and I said, ma'am, it's pretty late for the bus and she goes, oh, I'm just waiting for the rain to stop. So I loaded all her groceries in a car and I drove her home. And when I got her home, I unloaded her groceries and um, she started crying. And she said, that was so wonderful. Thank you. Well, about three days later, she showed up at the police department and she had built me a little statue out of shells that she had glued together. And I started crying. That's the police work that people don't see every day. Wow. That's a great story. Thanks for sharing that. You know, and that's what people... Just like in the military, you know, we talk about community and and, uh, I got to tell you, the first person you call when you have problems at home is usually somebody in a uniform. And without the police, the sheriffs, people that do things to help hold the community together uh, against the criminal element, we would certainly have one heck of a mess. It would certainly be chaos beyond anything we've ever imagined. And, you know, thinking about that, with the pandemic or that we're going through right now with coronavirus, what would be some tips and suggestions for citizens right now during this time? One, one is to follow instructions and it's hard, but it's for the benefit of everybody. And I'm kind of a rebel. Like I said, I drag race motorcycles and I like to live ed- life on the edge. But if we honor and respect everybody around us, then we'll get through this a whole lot faster. And the other thing is, Never live in fear. Never live in fear. I don't care if it's a tornado, a hurricane, a divorce, the death of a child, which I went through. Don't live in fear because fear and faith can never occupy the same space. And, and you know, God said always that, you know, we're going to have these challenges and journeys. And it was funny. I was riding my bicycle the other day. I hit the legacy trail for about 20 miles trying to stay in shape as an old guy. And And I thought about, you know, it's really hot outside, but at the end of this destination, there's a swimming pool at my house. But if I quit, I'll never get to it. And I realized in life that God places these difficulties in our life to grow us. We don't grow in the good times. We grow in the challenges. But when we get through the challenges, God provides an oasis along the way so that you can recover, so you can enjoy life for a minute. But he's not going to leave you there either. And you're going to be on to your next challenge. So this this too shall pass. I couldn't agree with you more, Steve. And you know, and we know we've heard that before that you're not going to have more put on your plate than you can eat. And and even if you if you have a lot on your plate, you're going to finish it sooner or later. So that's some great advice and some wisdom. You know, so you, you retired in 2011. What have you been doing since then? 
Um, a little bit of everything. I've always sold jewelry on a side for years. My dad taught me to be a hustler. He used to buy farm equipment and sell it. And I cut some trees with a buddy of mine that owns a tree service. But a few years back, I got involved with a company called ACN. And it was kind of funny because, you know, people have a stigmatism about multi-level marketing. And the first thing you hear is, oh, it's a pyramid scheme. And I kind of chuckled because when you look at the police department, you have the city manager. He doesn't work at nighttime. You have the chief of police. He doesn't work at nighttime. You have the captains. They don't work at nighttime. You have the lieutenants. Some of them work at nighttime. And then the guys who do all the grunt work. Everything in life's a pyramid. The church is a pyramid. A family home is a pyramid. Everything is. But the difference is the owners of ACN, and I can't recommend them highly enough, Mr. Greg Provenzano, Tony Kupas, Mike Kupas, and, and Mr. Robert Stefanowski, built this company with Christian values where you don't make money off the back of somebody. You walk side by side helping everybody. It's like the military. It's like the police department. You can't go ahead alone. And I love it. I love what I do. So what exactly is ACN? What are they doing? So ACN is kind of like the Amazon of essential services. So we're a little bit different than any other company. We do not broker products. We broker um, cell phone service with Verizon service, Sprint service, Frontier Internet, Spectrum Internet. We broker electric and gas in other states. And we're also in 27 countries. A little over a year ago, I had an explosion on my team. I have over 3,000 people on my team in Colombia, and now we're launching Peru. And the thing that was so rewarding to me, and I made good money, but what was rewarding to me was to take Colombian people, and I actually have my residence card for there. I love it so much. But to take a Colombian person who makes 10 to $12 a day, show them how to make $30 a day, providing friends and family with phone service that they already use. That to me is a way to make a difference in a world. That's a way to wipe the lines off the earth where there aren't any more countries per se. And how can I hate my brother if he's on my team? How can I hate someone in another country or have conflict with them if we're walking side by side? No, absolutely. I mean, I couldn't say more about that. So so you're basically giving people opportunities to have a piece of the of the pie, you know, have something that they own themselves and it creates a network that benefits everybody. Yeah, and it is a family. Like I tell my people all the time, my fiance, she's in Edmonton, Alberta, originally from South Africa. She has an incredible story, grew up in apartheid. But um, anyway, she's been in this company many, many years also. We created a team together called Kingdom Builders. And what the purpose of that is, is we believe in helping you, John Crotech, build your kingdom for your family underneath the umbrella of the kingdom of ACN, which is underneath the kingdom and umbrella of God. Yeah, truth right there. So let's just say there's a veteran out there that's in transition and is looking for some direction and purpose. You know, what would you, how can you help that veteran? Well, the first thing is, is that when he comes in, we become brothers instantly and it's a family. And I help him in times of need. I help him grow his income and we build residual income. And what that is for people who don't know is money coming in every month whether you work or not. Right now in this time, I had 55 people join my team in the last four days in Colombia and we're all on lockdown. So for the veteran who's coming out of say combat arms or whatever in the military, 
And maybe he wants his own freedom. He wants, because I'm not his boss. I'm his brother. I'm his side-by-side mentor. But it's mentorship. It's growth. I do a lot of personal development work every single day on myself and for my team. But then we also create a, a legacy of income for him to give him a bit of freedom. Now I travel the world at my free leisure when I want to build my team anywhere I want. And for people that that's of interest to, I can help them. Well, that's a great opportunity. You know, let me ask you this. You know, we're talking about stigmas. What would you like people, the civilians especially, to know about veterans and also about law enforcement veterans? Yeah, for sure. The thing that I'd ask everybody is don't don't suck up into the media's whirlwind whenever something happens. And even if it's something negative, and I'll give you a quick example. This gentleman on the ship, Admiral or whatever, who just got fired from his job because he wrote a letter he stepped out of bounds. We we have things in the military where you follow certain rules and regulations, but sometimes there's a tug on your heart to do the right thing. And I think he was well-intentioned. Don't be too quick to judge him or a law enforcement officer on a decision that they make in a flash of a second. And uh, what's the old saying about before you judge somebody, walk a mile in their shoes. And even if you can't do it, even if you haven't been in the military, even if you haven't been law enforcement, Imagine me going to work, leaving my family home and spending time helping other people during a hurricane instead of being home with my own family. So when we, you know, we as law enforcement or military ask you to do something, it's not out of a power struggle. Most of the time, 99.9% of the time, I'm not trying to to bully or to power over somebody, but I genuinely care and I know what's in your best interest at that moment. So just allow them some latitude and remember that they they care about you. Yeah, I like that. That's definitely some good advice. Let's say I've worn the uniform and uh, I'm struggling a little bit. You know, I, I can't really find my way. What kind of advice would you give to somebody who has worn the uniform and and, and they need some help? I think the key is don't go solo. I've got actually a friend of mine who's a really good friend, and we were in the Army together in Alaska 35 years ago, and he just went through some real challenges with mental health issues and some personal conflict in uh, domestic environment, if you will. And he's, he's like, he said to me, you know, does this break our friendship? And I'm like, brother, never breaks our friendship ever. You're always, always my friend. Sometimes I'm going to give you the hard truth, but I always have your back. And so what I recommend to people that were in the military, remember that brotherly bond you have. And if you don't have it with somebody, find it, reach out. And, And again, not to pitch it, but one of the reasons I love ACN is we're a giant family of people trying to help other people improve their life. And you can't lead the military where you're in a, in a community environment, a brotherhood, a sisterhood, and walk out into the open world and expect the open world to embrace you the same. You've got to find the few that understand that and have an open hand because we exist. We're here for you. And if anybody heard this and you want to find me on Facebook, Steve Breakstone, message me, hit me up. I am always, always here for you. Well, thanks for sharing that. You know, I got one for you, Steve. And I know you got a great answer for this. I know we always get a different answer. What does freedom mean to you? First of all, it's probably one of the most important words in the world. And freedom for me means the liberty. And it's what the forefathers built America for. It's the choice to be who you want as long as you don't walk on the rights of another. You have the right to be black. You have the right to be white. You have the right to be 
poor. You have the right to be rich. You have the right to be gay. You have the right to be straight. You have the right to be a Christian. You have the right to be a Muslim. All of that encompasses freedom. As long as your rights never cross over the lines of another human being. And so for me in life every day, I have the freedom to live life any way I choose, but I always try to take into account the impact I may have on another person's life. And I'll be bluntly honest, I've been divorced because I made bad choices. And I think in those circumstances, my freedom crossed the line on other people. And, And I accept that responsibility and I I grow from it. Yeah, definitely, definitely a good answer to that. And uh, gives you some things to think about. You know, looking at Steve Breakstone in the mirror, do you have a, a personal mantra that you live by every single day? I do, and it's actually tattooed across the shoulder of my back. It says willing to die. And people get confused by that. And they're like, oh, you want to die? And I'm like, no, that's not what it says. It's willing to die in the way that I'm willing to give my life for what I believe in, for who who needs protected. And it's just not being willing to die, if you will, physically, but to die to self, to give yourself to make other people's lives better. And I do try to wake up every day with a smile on my face. We talked about briefly about four years ago, I had a 17-year-old son die from suicide, Gabriel, an incredibly amazing young man. But for whatever reason, like the actor Robin Williams, like people we don't understand, they make a decision to finalize a challenge in life. And um, that's that's a hard thing to deal with. But in my life, Even after that, I pop up the next day and I smile and I carry myself through the day trying to live the day as best as possible. Well, I didn't know that, but thank you for sharing that. And that's probably some of the best advice you can give, you know, get up and smile and drive on. And definitely this conversation we've had today has been enlightening on a lot of different levels. And um, I appreciate you being on the show and I know that you're doing great things to help people. If if you want to reach out to Steve Breakstone, go ahead, Steve, give him the information again. And Yeah, so I'm available on Facebook under Steve Breakstone, and I'll give you my cell phone number, and it's on the second page of my book if you ever buy it, 941-737-0107. And I'm available by message or by phone call. I have a lot going on, but I always make time for people, and I do care for and love you. Well, thanks for that. And the name of the book is The Redemption of Joe by Steve Breakstone. I just uh, thrilled and honored and humbled to have you here today, Steve, on Straight Outta Combat Radio. Let's hope we can touch some people's lives out there. And if anybody's interested in contacting Steve, he gave you the information. All I can say is, you know, stay safe, be well, and, and Godspeed during this time, Steve. Thank you. You too. We up before they burn it down. Thank you for listening to another episode of Straight Outta Combat Radio, audio medicine from Green Zone Hero. If you liked what you heard, then tell others about us. Like us and download us. And please remember, freedom is not free, and combat veterans are vital assets. They're not broken. Save our song.